0: This is Transistor.fm. Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the -the behind-the-scenes story of building a web app in 2018. I'm John Buddha, software engineer.
1: And I'm Justin Jackson, and I'm standing in a 100-year-old bank vault.
0: Did you rob it? Did you? How'd you get in? I, this is this what is how desperate find? I
1: was to find a recording spot. I I robbed a bank and barricaded myself
0: in here. Well, it sounds good. <laughs> the, is it all, all the money? All the money is insulating the sound. That's
1: right. Yeah, that's that's true. That's another good way to insulate that people don't think about. <laughs> Real dollar bills. Not
0: very economical.
1: <laughs> that's how we roll here. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, follow along as we build transistor.fm that's why we're here uh this bank vault is this is in my co-working place and uh this was once the post office and so vernon is a very unusual canadian town in that we most canadian cities have nothing old like no old buildings like if you have anything past you know the 1900s um Well, there are no buildings past 1900, Hmm. but in Vernon we have my kid's school is built in 1867. Uh, No, not 1867. Is that right? Or 1896? I can't remember which one. But we have all these buildings that are uh, built in the late 1800s, and I think this post office is. uh, I'll have to double check. I know it's at least a hundred years old. So
0: yeah, there was a uh, there was a restaurant in Chicago that was actually. Built in an old bank, and you could eat in the bank vault.
1: Oh no way!
0: But it, but it was a really cool place, um, kind of like underground a little bit. But it, they closed, so
1: there is actually you're in Austin right now, right? Right. And there is a really cool restaurant there that I ate at when I was speaking at a conference. They had a speaker's dinner. It's an underground. Like, Gangster's Cave? I'll try to find photos. It is crazy. Like, it's nice. it's unlike any place I've been in. It's all rock. It was, like, blasted out of the rock. I'll put a photo in the show notes as well, which you can find at sass.transistor.fm. Uh, before we go too far, John, why don't we give yeah. some Patreon shout-outs? Uh, I'll do the first one, and you do the rest. We have a all brand right. new uh, Patreon named, uh, apologies if I don't get the pronunciation correct, Samori Augusto, and uh, quite generous, actually. Uh, Thank you for being a new sponsor. And I think we'll just, this time we'll mention his, the app that he's building, the bicrowd.com. So thank you to Samori. Who else do we have?
0: Uh, We have, let's see, we have Mike Walker. We have Brad uh, from Canada. We have Darby Frey uh, from Chicago. Kevin Markham, Adam Duvander, and Dave Junta, Junta, also from Chicago.
1: Do you see, do you see that little note I left there now?
0: Yeah, yeah, he actually uh, sent me a note on Slack, and he was like, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious to hear Justin <laughs> try to pronounce my name.
1: I think it's, it's <laughs> you know, the best comedy are uh, the recurring bits, and in some ways I, I don't want to lose that bit. So, And the nice thing for Dave is he gets so much airtime. Like we talk about we talk about Junta, like every single time, it, it's a it's a little stop on our podcast train. <laughs>
0: we'll uh, will give you the opportunity to say his name in a couple months <laughs> and see if you can remember how.
1: Yeah, I mean you practice enough things. So last week, John, uh, uh, we talked about this interview I did with Tyler Tringus of Ernest Capital. And then we played uh, in an abridged version for all the listeners. And now this week, I thought we would talk about it. Uh, did you get a chance yeah. to listen to listen to it?
0: I did. I did. Yeah. It was. I really. I enjoyed it. It actually. Once I was finished listening to it, I think it sort of set in that that type of funding model is kind of exactly what I would be looking for. If mm-hmm. I know we we have we've talked about it before. Yeah. It's like here's what I would want. And it seems to be like what Ernest is going for. Obviously, they're not, you know, they haven't launched yet. But yeah,
1: um, yeah. And Tyler said he actually messaged me and said he'd be happy to do a um, like a, a follow up interview. And, and yeah, they're still building. And he was very clear to say he didn't expect this thing to blow up the way it did. But mm-hmm. I think it's interesting for us to look at it, uh, especially because there are a number of these now. We have Tiny Seed Fund from Rob Balling. We have Indie.VC. Um, you know, there's there's all of these new funding vehicles coming online they're interesting from a variety of perspectives one i think they're challenging this old archetype that bootstrapping is good and funding is bad or depending on depending on which side of the war you're on right
0: right yeah i mean you know i, I think tyler touched on this a little bit in that like he doesn't see anything wrong with vc it's just one other Option and maybe, maybe you'll get there eventually. Depending on how you're funded mm-hmm. initially or not funded, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, it's just sort of a new, a new approach to a model that doesn't work for everyone.
1: And, and in some ways, it's refreshing because the old kind of religion, which was you know maybe maybe spearheaded by DHH and Jason Freed of Basecamp, was you know. It, you know venture capital is evil and why don't take it it's not worth it you sell your soul you sell your company it sets up all these unrealistic expectations and you know they're they're, they've been quite strong uh they've been quite strong on that right like it's yeah the the you can read the blog posts and um and and maybe for good reason you know the there's also a lot of blog posts that have come out lately, for example, from Buffer and Wistia, who have said, you know, this is the downside to raising money. And they're buying out their investors now. Uh, I think Buffer, what did Buffer, I'll put this in the show notes as well. Yeah, they they are going private, basically, buying out their investors, going private, uh, using debt financing for this. And, it, it, you know, it, there's definitely a... And, and they talk about the downsides, right as soon as you take uh, venture capital, you are setting yourself up to go uh, you, you have to grow you have to grow not yeah you
0: have to grow not just
1: yeah. 2x but
0: 50x. have you,
1: Have you ever worked for a venture funded startup?
0: I haven't no I've somehow avoided that hmm. I don't know I don't know how
1: I've worked for uh, a startup that was venture funded. And, um, yeah, it's, it is a lot of pressure because it's not enough to be profitable. It's not enough to be, basically all you care about is growth because you want to grow so big that you are, yeah. you know, attractive to be acquired or go public, I guess.
0: Right. It's just such a, I don't know, it's just such a bizarre model to me. I mean, you have so much pressure to grow and be big and it, the, like profits don't matter. Mm -hmm. You're basically only trying to be sold or go public to raise money, to then grow bigger. Yes. To then maybe, maybe be profitable at some point or then be bought. Yes. After you're public. It's just, I don't know. It's so much different than just trying to build like a stable long term business.
1: (laughs) Yes, totally. I finally found this, this, uh, this blog post from Buffer. It really is worth reading um, I'll put it in the show notes here. uh yeah, I'll just call it uh, buffer buying out investors, but it is they're using half the cash they have in the bank, plus I'm guessing debt financing, so three point three million dollars to buy out their investors. It just sets you the point is it sets you on this train, and you know that's been the traditional kind of thinking so then all of a sudden. IndieVC comes out with this essay, makes a big splash on Hacker News. This is a couple of years ago. And IndieVC says, "Listen, we are changing the the tone here. We don't want to invest in growth. We want to invest in companies that are going to be profitable." This is a this is looked at like a, a innovative technology and it's, it kind of blows people's minds. Some people are you know, they're like, whatever. Other folks are really interested in it. And uh, they were kind of the first ones that I heard that were doing this. And then, uh, yeah, more recently we have Rob Walling announcing the Tiny Seed Fund and now most recently, Ernest. And this time, when these announcements come up, comes out, the old guard of bootstrapping has changed its tone so David Hanemeyer Hansen in a tweet says, "Earnest Capital is an interesting alternative to VC funding for entrepreneurs who can't bootstrap, but don't want time bomb funding either." Yeah, and so it it's almost uh, it's quelled a little bit of the ideology, um, this entrenched these entrenched ideas that you know you either bootstrap and that's that is maybe more pure than taking funding or you, you know, or
0: right. It's this one, yeah, one, one approach is right. One approach is wrong.
1: Yeah. And, and Rob Walling also, you know, uh, quite a faint, quite famously, uh, wrote a book called, um, uh, what is it? Start small, stay small. And he was, uh, a, a, an ardent bootstrapper, but then he was acquired. His company drip was acquired by, uh, lead pages, and I, I mean there's probably other things too. He started investing in small little companies, and he, he he started espousing this idea of fund strapping. So it you you take this these principles that have developed around bootstrapping, so having very lean operations, uh, trying to get to profit as quickly as you can, being profitable from day one if you can. Focusing on, um, you know, on cash and revenue. Focusing on building a sustainable business. All of these ideas, but then also saying, but let's give folks some runway. And I think Tyler in that interview put it really well. He said, you know, there's some people that you know are in their 20s and can move to Thailand and live on $25 a day, um, but. You know, in our case, we can't do that. I mean, we we, we <laughs> some days I dream about it.
0: Sounds great. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> right, but on the other hand, like, there's you know the fund strapping you're talking about. Like, you're still, I don't know. It makes it sound like you're just going to get this chunk of money with zero strings attached. There's always some trade-off. That's right. Yeah. And. Um, Ernest seems like, like I said, seems like the closest to what I would envision as like a good trade-off.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's what I wanted to talk about with you today. Is yeah, you know, could we foresee ourselves using something like that, and what would be the pros and the cons? Right. So maybe, yeah. Why don't we just start with you? Like you've you've talked a little bit. You've said, okay, this is probably the closest thing. But what are some of the cons? Like, what would you think are some of the disadvantages to, you know, you and I taking that kind of money?
0: Right. I mean, it seems like the only only big disadvantage is like, I mean, we obviously wouldn't take it immediately if we didn't think we needed it. But like, so you, you know, they, Ernest thinks you're a good fit. We go with something like that. Mm -hmm. We get the money um we would both have to like do this full time obviously mm-hmm. would we later on feel like we we shouldn't have taken it do, do maybe we didn't need the money to get to where we got to mm-hmm. and then you're sort of stuck in this you got to pay it back to a certain return rate yeah. right which might take i mean for a business our size that might take like a decade of, of just like slowly paying back this loan essentially Mm -hmm. i mean it's a it's a that's a if you think about it as a loan it's a really high interest loan (laughs)
2: yeah
0: uh well actually is it that's that's one sort of well so i mean
1: let's say uh commercial money well the problem is we can't get commercial money so the interest rate we'd be paying is probably what is the stripes actually stripe has an interesting one let me this was just on indie hackers. Let me let me go in and, and look at that. But there's yeah, someone had just said they, they got one of these Stripe loans and um yeah, Stripe gave us a twenty thousand dollar advance. The terms are twenty thousand dollars advance, ten percent fee, or two thousand dollars, and Stripe takes five percent of your daily revenue until the loan is paid back with the fee. He's this for this fellow Travis R is saying Uh, Who I think I know, Um, he's saying you know uh, comparable bank loans for a twenty thousand dollar unsecured line would have been anywhere from seven percent to twenty nine percent. He's saying this seems like a good fit for us. They took it even though they don't really need it. They just want to, um, you know, they just wanted to have the cash. This person here, you know, in the comments, folks are saying, "Why'd you take the money?" You know, that's that's quite high. Um, Now the other thing is. We're talking about scale too, right? You might be able to get a bank loan right. or a line of credit for ten or twenty thousand dollars, but if we're talking about two hundred thousand dollars, what is that compounded over? Let's put the amortization as five years, and we would pay it monthly. Let's let's see what this says. That would be a four thousand two hundred forty nine dollar monthly payment. So that's sixty months, four two four nine. So we would pay roughly $55,000 interest on that.
0: Which is significantly less. Which than. is
1: significantly less. Yeah. So we've done the math now. Although all of this changes of course if we do if we go to 10 years. Um uh, over 10 Right, right Over right, 10 right. years it would let's see what would that be. 10 years over 10 years it would be 317,000. So you're paying $117,000 in interest
0: right i mean it, so yeah it, it's different but then on, on the other hand like if you don't pay your bank loan back you're screwed you
1: lose your house
0: and and i think with this you know it sounds like they would take the loss obviously they're going to want to invest in companies that they feel confident in mm-hmm. reaching profitability like that but like if you don't you know, I think it's just a risk for them, right? It's yeah. Not, they're not gonna like sue you or like you're not gonna have to go into bankruptcy.
1: Yeah. And and by the way, um, I don't know if we've mentioned this actually, but the so that the terms that Ernest has right now are um so you take uh let's say you we took a hundred thousand, we would they would want back a three to five X return. So anywhere between three hundred thousand and five hundred thousand. And the way that they get that return is interesting. They don't take any um, company stock. They don't take any equity, right? Uh, which is quite uh, interesting because uh, traditional investors they want a, they want a big portion of your company. They want to see it on the board. Ernest just wants a portion of founder earnings up to you know three to five x,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and. Um, The the folks I've talked to have said, you know, earnest is interesting because that's quite a lot of risk on their side. Yeah, here's one comment I got by email. I'll be interested to see if these new small profitable business investing models work. It always seems to me that investing in tech startups was so risky, they had to get at least a 10x return out of 10% of their investments just to break even. I listened to the abridged version of your podcast with Tyler Tringus, But upon reflection, I'm not sure I understand how they're attempting to reduce their own risk, allowing them to succeed with only a 4 to 5x return.
0: Yeah, I mean, they must have to be really diligent in the kinds of companies they invest in, I guess. Yeah. But I, I would assume other venture capital firms are as well. Yeah, I mean... So it's tough. Yeah, I think it it it's a
1: new th- it's a new theory. The new theory is they will lose less. So when you're, you know, it's kind of like Babe Ruth. You know, when Babe Ruth was swinging, he was always swinging for the fences, and I think his batting average wasn't that good. Now I'm <laughs> all the baseball people. He swung for the fences, and you know that's what venture capitalists want.
0: Right, so those are the cons. You are paying back; it's a decent chunk of money. Like if you think about it, it's it's being taken out of your, it's being taken out of the founder's salaries or the the um, dividends, dividends or distributions mm-hmm. um, over time. You know that adds up. Yeah, four hundred thousand dollars in lost, you know, income is a lot. Yeah, but, but at the end of that, you're obviously in a place where, assuming you pay all that back, you're obviously running a successful company at that point yeah and then once it's paid off you are in a great spot yeah i think i think in the case of Ernest, it seems like the pros kind of outweigh the the cons it's quite a bit yeah um, it's, it seems like a very a very hands-off approach and i think this goes back to what i was talking about when i you know had, had this idea for a type of investment that would be, I would be comfortable with which is like you know you have someone investing money in you and they they have obviously vetted you and they trust they trust you to to kind of continue on as you are mm-hmm. they, they have a feeling that you can be a successful company and they just it's very hands off they don't you know they don't they're not making decisions for you or telling you which way to go mm-hmm they don't put someone on the board. You know, they might have like a community for you to talk with other founders, but they're not pushing you in one direction or the other.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it is interesting. It's something I want to keep chewing on. The challenge with all of this stuff, and I think I mentioned this in the interview, is what's, what's difficult about the dogma on both sides is that it's very difficult to take one business who are at a crossroads like we are and say that one move was better than the other because we can't A-B test reality. We can't say, okay, let's take Ernest's money and let's try out that path. And if that doesn't work, we'll get in our time machine, we'll come back to this point and then we'll we'll take, you know, uh, $2 million in venture capital. And if that doesn't work, we'll come back to this point and then we'll just bootstrap it the way we we're going to before. we can't do that, and uh you know all of the the survivor bias in all of the publicly available examples doesn't really help us because you know I don't know we could say uh okay, convert kit, it's wildly successful, but maybe it would be even better if they had taken money or you know um someone who failed maybe they wouldn't have failed if they had you know chosen a different path yeah and so it's so difficult because the the number one risk with all of this stuff is burning out
0: right can you yeah can you stay in it long enough
1: can you stay in it long <laughs> enough can you grow at the right time you know i i think i told this story before but i was in the the esp Industry, the email service provider industry, quite early, and I remember at the time, you know, we were looking at Mailchimp and we were looking at, uh, yeah, Mailchimp primarily, and just thinking, man, they are so behind. Like, they, they, they we didn't even consider them. Uh, you know, I, I mean, they were competitor, but we just thought they're, they're, you know. Not as formidable as Campaign Monitor at the time. Right. And huh. it's just amazing how things change. You know, at the time we had Campaign Monitor, which was bootstrapped. We had Constant Contact, which had taken money and gone public. And we had MailChimp, which was bootstrapped. And we were just thinking, you know, it, that the playing field was still wide open.
0: Yeah. And today, when you think of that, industry who do you think of first Yeah
1: it's it's Mailchimp, MailChimp. So
0: yeah.
1: obviously it wasn't just one decision that led them there I think that's important uh, you know there's often people think it's just you know one decision that's going to make or break the company it it's this is a, this decision isn't the one thing that's going to make or break us There's other things too but <laughs> you also think you know there were some certain things Mailchimp did that really helped them leap forward. And, you know, maybe in retrospect, some of those competitors would have been like, oh, maybe we should have done that. It's tricky, right? Because we want to make the right decision. We want to be able to go to the distance. But, you know, what? how do we make that decision? Right. I think one, another interesting point, I've put this in the show notes as well. Um, VC just tweeted this, and John, and I sent this to you as well. Uh, He says, interesting tidbit from our LP meeting prep. So this is NDVC. They're getting ready to say...
0: What is is LP? What does that mean? Limited
1: partner. So I think that means um, these are the the folks that have invested in the fund. I think that's what it means. Feel free to correct me, everybody. Um, Anyway, interesting tidbit from our LP meeting prep. Medium, sorry, median rev growth per company post-investment. So... After IndyVC invests, how how much does revenue growth increase? Median revenue growth was 196 percent. So you take the baseline of all their investments and you compare revenue growth, pre-investment and post-investment, the median rate of growth is 196 percent. The average revenue of gro- average revenue growth, was seven hundred twenty three percent. So there's clearly huh. some big, some folks. This this money was all they needed to unlock, yeah, a bunch of growth. And, um, you know, growth. Yeah, I mean, I, growth yeah. isn't everything, but that's right. That's certainly you know something.
0: Right. I mean, there's no. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that if we went the investment route and we were doing this full time, that our revenue would grow significantly. Yeah. Like, I, I, I know that'll happen. It's just, is it enough? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's tough to decide. Yeah. um, Yeah. Where, where are you? Where are you at with it? How do you, how do you feel about it?
1: This is what makes it interesting when you have co-founders is that, you know, we've talked, we talked quite a bit and on your side, you've got, you're thinking about things like health insurance. You're thinking about, yeah. you've got a great job. You've got, you know, there's. There's all these things on your side. On my side, I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got this little business that I'm running aside from Transistor, and, you know, if I can make that pay the bills, I could probably keep going. But I've also seen both of us frustrated by just like, ah, if we could just invest more, this thing would really, you know, I I agree with you, like, I feel like we could kick ass, like, there's yeah. if if we're able to invest our whole selves in this, we could really unlock some some great stuff. Yeah. So I think part of me is like, oh, that would be wonderful to be able to do that. But even then, it's, so I, I say I'm sure we would unlock that growth, but you you never really know. Like it might just keep growing the same way it's always grown even if we're working harder, I, I, I imagine that it would increase. Um, even like in terms of mind space, you know, I think that's one thing we've challenged, we've been challenged with. Right. It's
0: really, yeah.
1: Our brains are just full of shit. (laughs) Like they really, they really are like, right.
0: That's, I think that would be, that would be the biggest win. I mean, it's just the focus and, it's really hard to to. It's really hard to get momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the it's the biggest problem when you're not doing it full time. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, you can maybe knock out some support requests here and there and and like fix really small things, but you know, these ongoing larger features that I I personally keep saying are almost done and are going to be done soon. Yeah, are still are still not done because it's like it basically requires like an entire day. Yeah. Uh, to focus on it at least like eight hours of focus time, which is really only possible on the weekends.
1: Yeah. And even having the mind space to make decisions like, how can we improve our pricing? How can we improve our user experience? How can we improve our onboarding? And you have these things that you notice as a product person. So like one thing I've noticed is our help system is still not very discoverable inside of the app. And it's frustrating because you know people will contact us and I have to go and find these articles and 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 show them to them but if if there was a way of exposing these things uh, the 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 all, all these articles we've written already people's experience would be way better but just to tackle that problem to think about it and go okay how can we best deliver this one thing? It requires mindshare. It requires focus. It, refi- it requires time to think. Um, my friend Tan says that the, the role of a founder is mostly thinking. Like, that's most of your job, especially once you have people working for you. Most of your job is just thinking. And Steve Jobs famously took a lot of walks where he was just thinking. And I can see that because so much of this is just put, you know, get myself in a space where I can really think about something and really go deep.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's ultimately what that freedom would afford the freedom. Right. The money, the money would afford the freedom to really give it the the time to. Th- the thinking time that it requires.
1: Yeah. The challenge for companies, no matter what stage you're at, is eventually you need to make decisions and move on. And so what's great about being uh, opinionated, like the folks at Basecamp were, is it just helps you set your course. It helps you say, you know, what are we about? Uh, We're about not taking investment. Okay, let's go. You know, and then they just worked for two to three years uh, on Basecamp on the side. Um David Hanemar Hansen, actually, he tweeted out... So I wrote this article about startup costs that got a, quite a bit of traction. And he tweeted it. He he shared it. And then people were responding saying, you know, what did you mean by that or whatever? And uh, the one thing he's, they asked him is, you know, how much were you paying yourselves in those early days? Let me see if I can find this. And he said forty to $50,000... A person. So, you know, even that is interesting, right? Like, that. Right. Uh, so, what did he say? He said, reducing costs means reducing risk and adding options. Growing business is a maybe, lowering costs is a definite. We didn't go full time with Basecamp before it could comfortably pay the meager salaries, meager 2005 salaries of four people. Could we have gambled? Sure, but I don't gamble. <laughs> he's 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 so strong. But you know, he's saying, "Well, back in two thousand five, we didn't go full time with Basecamp until it could pay forty to fifty thousand dollars per head." Well, one of the challenges we have, you know, this was young DHH, no kids. Mm-hmm. You know, young Jason Freed, no kids. Not yep.
0: Yeah, not, it's a much different situation.
1: And for us it's like well we'd have to it, it would have to be 100k per head for us
0: right just to, right. just
1: to even put us in the ballpark and so we're already kind of doubling that um just different stage of life et cetera.
0: yeah i mean different stage of life different time different decade different time you know there's a lot of a lot of things that are different yeah now than i think when they were worried about that yeah Certainly, the cost of living is a little bit higher, especially in cities.
1: Yeah, and and just stage of life is different. Oh, the only other thing I wanted to mention, actually, I can can just blast through these. So, what kinds of companies does Ernest want to invest in? Uh, These are some notes from the interview. Organic customer acquisition channels. Uh, I think we definitely have that, by the way. Uh, So, if anything, this is a nice scorecard for us. So, we get tons of signups from word of mouth, from search... I had someone the other day that said, yeah, I was just searching this term, found your site and signed up. Um, low levels of structural churn, so ready to stay customers for a long period of time. There's tons of evidence that uh, people who pay for podcast hosting stick around for a long time. I was at a party and uh, a fellow said, uh, you know, I, he had a hockey podcast and he hadn't updated it in a while but he was still paying Libsyn every month for the podcast, right? So these people, they, they create these shows, but they want them to live on. They don't want them to cease to exist, right? Um, founder is a good fit is the other check mark he wants. Uh, product is launched and has revenue. That's also us. And it has to be a space that Tyler Tringas feels comfortable with. He's as the general partner. He wants to have some sort of interest or understanding of the market uh-huh. and he's talked a lot about podcasting, and uh, he's even given us kind of private feedback on our user experience and marketing. so we met we meet a lot of the the requirements
0: and right, I and mean, we yeah, I mean you haven't really talked to him necessarily directly about us, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't talked to him. It's also not he also hasn't really opened this for business yet.
1: So. Yeah. <laughs> I also got it to ask him about republic.co, which is something I've been interested in. Uh Republic.co is a crowd equity um funding option. Mm-hmm. And uh Radio Public, who's in our space, just raised I think two or three hundred thousand doing this. Okay. And I just didn't understand like what are the pros and cons. Tyler has a pretty good pretty good understanding of it and he said it's a great option if you have an audience of fans that want to support your work but in terms of the people who invest their crowd equity doesn't have monetary value unless you raise a big round or go public so my understanding is that folks who invest in these things they either are fans or they want the perks that you're offering as a part of the, for a better word, Kickstarter, right? Yeah. So that that was interesting to me because I, I didn't quite understand the equity portion. But he says, basically, it's like a, you're getting a promissory note or something that if this company ever raises money in the future or goes public, then that crowd equity converts to something That's actually valuable. Um, But yeah, I think we'll leave it there. Folks, if you have kind of feedback or ideas or if you can see into the future, if you have this time machine, please let us know.
0: (laughs) You might have some other benefits if you already have a time machine. Yeah,
1: no, I want you to only use your time machine to go in the future and look at our future. (laughs) Maybe we don't want that. Maybe this is actually the best part right here is just two guys hustling on the side and talking every week, uh, and recording a podcast. This might be like we will we'll look back on this and go, "Yeah, wow, those were the days." Remember that? Remember when we were just <laughs> Justin was just recording in his closet? You know, yep. Those were the best days.
0: <laughs> we might, we might look back, look back wistfully on those days. It's and true. Say, "Well, we weren't making any money, but <laughs> we had fun talking." Yeah, but in those our were closets. the days. <laughs>
1: um. Okay, so we got to wrap up. Um, What, uh, yeah. So we're still working on SSL.
0: Yeah. Still working on Spotify analytics.
1: Those are both coming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, nothing, nothing really big. I mean, I, I rolled out a small update for, uh, iPhone X and XS. Ooh. Uh, in the web browser, if you look at your, um, transistor host websites, there's a little bit of CSS, um, apple kind of provides these weird little hacky css overrides that sort of add padding for the notch so it'll like it'll oh. in, in landscape in, in landscape mode it'll still look good and be like full screen and bleed to the edges but not not like your your content will be cut off so anyway we had a customer um one of the co-hosts of supercomputer who sort of suggested it and honestly i didn't even know that, that css existed so Nice. Your site, your sites will look better in landscape mode. <laughs> um, cool. That's the only. That's the only real thing we've rolled out. Um, you know, just a few uh, updates to YouTube here and there. That's still sort of, you know, that, that feature still feels somewhat beta to me. Like it, it it's better, but it it's for some reason some of these videos, like they stall out when we encode it, and they just sit there for hours, mm. and I don't quite know why.
1: Yeah, well, we we'll keep working on it. Um, yeah, that's that's the. I mean, the, not every week can be a, a nice big feature release, anyway. Even right. when you've got tons of people working for you. So.
0: Right. I mean, it feels good. You know, it feels good to knock out the small things, but it also, but also feels like sometimes you get behind on the bigger, the bigger pieces. But
1: yeah, uh, can you want to tell folks quickly about Apple Pay?
0: Oh yeah, um, yeah. Stripe has pretty good support for Apple Pay. Um, so when you when you sign up or or even change your payment method within Transistor, um, you'll eventually have the option to just use Apple Pay, and it'll autofill everything. Sweet. Um, and then that'll be your payment, your subscription payment is Apple Pay. Nice. It just basically ties to it, you know, ties to your credit card, but but it, it makes it makes signing up pretty pretty simple, basically like one you know one touch.
1: Yeah. So in the future we'll be able to tell folks, hey, if you're listening right now, just go to transistor.fm on your phone, sign up right now. Or your
0: or your or your MacBook Pro if you have the, the thumb reader. Yeah.
1: All you need is your thumb and you could be podcasting right away. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> all right, folks, I, I gotta go. My battery's down to five percent and I don't want to lose Uh-oh. this recording. So yeah. we will see you next Tuesday. As always, reach out on tra- at transistorfm. On Twitter or at John Buddha, at M-I-Justin, the letter M, the letter I, Justin. And we will see you next week. See you next week.